This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Thursday, January 14th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. Big tech has taken big steps in the last week to restrict the activities of the president, right-wing outlets, and other supporters of the president online. So what does that mean for Trump's superfans? Will they now need to create their own internet? Is it Orwellian or fascism, as many have claimed on the right? Cato's Will Duffield and Matthew Feeney comment. The president lost his Twitter account, um, to paraphrase a president, rendering him almost mute, and um, lost a bunch of other social media perches as well. Uh, A lot of other right-wing groups lost their uh, social media or were restricted in some way on uh, various platforms. Some left-wing groups lost theirs, uh, we have to note as well. Uh, Parler, the so-called Twitter alternative, which is uh, mostly right-wing folks uh, there, was told by Amazon, we're not going to host your site again. Uh, And this was after Apple and Google both said, we don't want your app in our stores. Uh, So what is notable about this is, of course, all of this occurred in the wake of uh, that deadly uh, pro-Trump uh, mob that attacked the Capitol last week. Um, but a lot of this did happen at once and seemed to be, uh, at least from a right winger's perspective, pretty broad. So, Will, uh, answer me this. Uh, this is not the first time that social media companies have appeared to act in concert uh, in restricting or or doing something about uh, high-profile people doing things they don't like on their platforms? Well, all of this happened at around the same time, but it didn't happen at exactly the same time. So rather than being a coordinated effort in which platforms communicated ahead of time about the sorts of decisions they wanted to make, this was instead a cascade. Um, What started with edge platform actions around the president's Twitter account and perhaps his Facebook presence or um, presence on Snapchat snowballed um, as concerns about him potentially speaking using Parler as an alternative platform um, combined with concerns prompted by Wednesday's violence about the use of Parler and other alternative social media sites in organizing that uh, rally and invasion. So over the course of the weekend, after Trump's initial ban from edge social media platforms, you then saw a succession of actions taken by content hosts against Parler. First, it was pulling their app from the Apple and Google app stores. And this was then followed by Amazon's decision to pull their web hosting through AWS. At each stage, the decision by one platform pushed speech or potentially pushed speech somewhere else and into someone else's lap. After Amazon or after Google and Apple removed the Parler app, the sole way of accessing it was through the Parler website which then placed the whole problem in Amazon's hands. Matthew, do you want to jump in on that? No, I think that was an accurate uh, summary of of what we saw over the last week, which I I think many people didn't come as a surprise. Uh, I, I, like many people, watched uh, much of the 
the storming of the Capitol with um, what I imagine was a shared sense of of horror. And I also w- was thinking at the time that this was likely to prompt social media to take uh, to take action. Um, and of course, the biggest names uh, in, in this context, we're talking mostly about Facebook and Twitter, uh, unsurprisingly did take action. Uh, now, you you can say this, uh, opponents of the president will say, look, this was too too little too late, and that you know there's only a few weeks before his presidency is up. Uh, but I do think that the uh, the staff at, at Twitter and Facebook saw the actual you know, instigation of violence as a as a red line uh, that the president crossed. From the outside looking in, though, it did appear coordinated. It looked like this was all happening at once, and this was something that maybe these platforms are waiting for a triggering event. I'm trying to get inside the heads of, of people who were particularly upset by this, and and frankly, I think that's a probably a pretty reasonable conclusion to draw based upon if you're reading the news and you see, oh, the all of these things happen today. Well, I, I don't um, have any inside information about what went on at the, the headquarters of these companies, but it's easy to imagine that as news of the capital storming was making its way into the headquarters of Twitter and Facebook, that uh, the fact that a decision was going to have to be made um, became became clear uh, because they were going to be asked questions inevitably about how so many people could be organized uh, to uh, not only you know storm the capital but to uh, actually coordinate specific acts right the and and that I think is uh, a little different to the complaints that we've become used to over the last couple of years about uh, Trump's uh, social media content, which mostly was just the spreading of outright falsehoods. And it's much easier, I think, to defend yourself if you're Twitter or Facebook saying, look, you know, people are allowed to to be wrong. Uh, this, this, I think, was just a category that was different. And uh, I'm sure it looks coordinated, uh, but only because uh, the largest platforms acted relatively quickly. So, uh, it, you know, if you have a lot of right-wing friends. I have some right-wing friends who were outraged by this. Uh, he was uh, a friend of mine in particular, was one of the 25 million new users of Telegram that uh, have popped up in just the last week or so. In the, I'm sorry, in the last 72 hours, according to Telegram, 25 million new users joined that platform. Uh, presumably, they're Departing from Twitter, departing from Facebook, that sort of thing. What are we to take from that? Well, I think mainstream platform action always prompts these sorts of exoduses. Now, looking at actions taken by Apple and Google over the weekend and then Amazon, I I think it is jarring to see how that lower level infrastructure can be mobilized to moderate content. At the same time, while Parler has taken the brunt of this, there still still are a host of, of alternatives. You spoke to use of Telegram. Parler will probably end up moving to a web host called Epic that continues to host Gab, a Twitter alternative which, in the wake of the Pittsburgh syn- synagogue shooting, went through a similar sort of deep deplatforming chain as Parler has gone through over the weekend, where in rapid succession, they went from uh, having their app removed from app stores to their web hosts and even threats to their DNS or or domain name registrar, um, forcing them to shift uh, the address of their site. 
another complaint that I hear from right wingers. I've been absorbing these complaints over the over the weekend, and uh, one of them is, look, if if you're telling, yeah, you don't like Twitter, don't use Twitter. Um, if uh, you don't like these apps, you know, don't have them in your store. There's plenty of other places you can you can go to where apps are developed, maybe not super popularly, but uh, when you have Google and Apple both saying, nope, can't have Parler app, and then Amazon says to to Parler, we're not even going to host your website. Uh, the response is, what are we supposed to do? Build our own internet? I, I think it's worth taking um, the, the claims one by one because they're slightly different. So, so on the... Uh... On the Apple and Google app controversy, I think that's a lot weaker than the AWS one. So even if you don't have the Parler app on the phone, for example, it is still possible to access Parler.com, right? Now, of course, now you have the, uh, on a native browser, um, but now you have the the issue with AWS where it's, well, Parler.com, right, isn't even up and running anymore. But I, as I think Will outlined, uh, it, it looks likely that Parler will be up and running sometime soon. Uh, you know, a, a web host yanking all of its services um, overnight is no doubt very disruptive uh, to someone who who is trying to run a website. Uh, but that doesn't bear on the legality of what they did or whether they have a right to make uh, this decision based on... Uh, what they're seeing in the marketplace. Uh, so I, I think it's only a matter of time before Parler is back up and running. Uh, you know, the, whether its its app will be on Google or Apple actually doesn't prevent Google, uh, Android, or Apple users from actually accessing Parler if and when it gets back online. I think if we're thinking about where conservatives would like to build something new, alternatives to the infrastructure we have now, they ought to look towards something that's more decentralized. Because regardless of who controls Amazon, if you do have one large or even a few large web hosts rather than a system of distributed hosting, those web hosts will always be a prize. Anyone who wants to control speech for whatever reason will see that because those hosts present a choke point by capturing it, they can control a whole lot of speech. So when we look to alternatives, we need to be wary of just replicating them, creating a large conservative web host. Um, we're relying on, in the case of Epic at the moment, a sort of single conservative-friendly domain name registrar. We've avoided the the obvious discussion because I feel like we've had this discussion a lot, which is, of course, all of these systems are owned privately, even if they are publicly traded uh, companies, and they can do whatever they think is in the best interest of their owners. Um, but that argument doesn't seem to have very much currency uh, on, on the right. They view uh, big tech as, in a sense, competing governments. Right. I, I think uh, you've heard not just from the right, but also some on the left uh, in the last week that these uh, Silicon Valley companies have um, the powers that rival states. And and I think we should be careful um, and precise in the debate to, to ensure that we, we don't conflate uh, private companies with states. Uh, you might not like uh, Facebook's uh, content moderation policies, but uh, Facebook uh, does not have the capacity to arrest you uh, or to shoot you. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that they don't have power. Look, these are influential companies, and it would be naive to deny that uh, they have a, a cultural impact. Uh, but the the alternative that if, if people are worried about this, then 
what do they want to do about it? And this is where the questions, you get different proposals um, that all have, I think, separate issues. Uh, do these critics of big tech want all these companies to be forced to house all legal speech? Uh, do they want uh, there to be a government-run social media site that will allow anyone to post whatever they want? Uh, the, the problem is that these complaints about big tech are rarely, I think, followed up by policy proposals that are constitutional because there's this little provision called the First Amendment that is a bit of a roadblock. Uh, but uh, the fact that there are complaints from the left and the right uh, suggests to me that we're unlikely to see a cohesive legislative package uh, that could successfully deal with this problem that they think there is. I see a valuable small L liberal separation of powers in these private firms being able to make decisions independently of the states, of the state. If we look to, say, China, where private industry is completely subservient to and works in lockstep with the state, when one fails, when one makes the wrong decision, both will. And in the United States, under a system in which these firms are independent, even if they're powerful, then when perhaps institutions intended to check the president fail, perhaps they step up. And when their moderation falters or is misdirected, uh, people can rely upon um, other perhaps state-provided fora in order to speak. So Amazon, in telling Parler that it is no longer welcome uh, using its services, uh, I think it's worth understanding what Amazon's complaint was, and that is Parler, of course, has its own terms of service. Uh, Amazon Web Services has its own terms of service that, uh, and certain behavior is required for the people that they do business with. Uh, it appears, at least, that Parler was either having difficulty or simply was not uh, trying to consistently enforce its own terms of service, which posed a problem for Amazon. Well, after Wednesday's last Wednesday's violence, and especially in the lead up to the inauguration next week, I can see why Amazon would be very uncomfortable, whether as a result of under-inclusive or unenforced policies, they on their hardware are hosting Lynn Wood through Parler telling his half a million followers that they ought to kill the vice president because he's betrayed Trump um, over and over. And again, I think perhaps before Wednesday that could be ignored, but afterwards it, it just became an untenable risk, if not legally, from a public relations and, and moral culpability standpoint. Yeah, I, I would mention that uh, oftentimes people will discuss uh, Section 230 in these discussions. Uh, you know, it's the law that I know we've discussed many times on the podcast before. Uh, and, and times like this remind me that uh, people should remember that it's not a blanket immunity, um, that there are exceptions for violations of federal criminal law. Uh, and I, I think those are the kind of considerations that may have been weighing on uh, some of these these companies' minds, whether or not we could have some of our colleagues on to talk about whether what we saw actually did rise to uh, incitement. Um, my, my understanding is probably not legally, but certainly I think colloquially and culturally, there are enough people um, at the companies and also in the country uh, writ large that did view what they saw on Wednesday as uh, incitement to, to violence, which uh, understandably concerned them. 
Will Duffield is a policy analyst, and Matthew Feeney directs the Center for Emerging Technologies at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.